Welcome on into the Superintendent Radio Network and episode 30, the big three zero of Beyond the Page. Beyond the Page is the podcast that goes a little deeper into some of the stories and columns in Golf Course Industry Magazine. And I am Matt Lowell, Managing Editor of the magazine. I'm joined today for the first time in too long. It has been too long since I have asked him to be on the show, and I'm glad he is back. Bradley S. Klein, esteemed golf writer, golf commentator, a member and inductee of the Caddy Hall of Fame, which amazes him. He is also the author of our Golf Therapy column, and uh, if you have not been reading The Good Doctor, he has been on a roll, as he almost always is, but he has been on a roll this season. His most recent column, which we will talk about today, focuses on the outgoing veteran superintendent at his local municipal course and the incoming successor. And while it provides a snapshot of those two, it's also a bit of a valentine to municipal superintendents. The work that they do with small budgets and small crews, the limitations placed on them by local government, the sideways glances shot at them so often by non-golfers in the general public. We will talk about that and we'll talk about more in just a minute. But first, a quick word from CPRO, the proud sponsor of Beyond the Page. Turf plant growth regulators are a critical tool in keeping every course in top-notch condition. They not only help to reduce clippings on warm and cool season grasses throughout the season, but also help manage and enhance POA annua to enhance the overall turf quality and conditions of the course. CPRO provides industry-leading turf plant growth regulators like Cutlass, Legacy, and Musketeer to the golf industry, along with disease, weed, and aquatic management solutions. And I don't know about you, but here in Northeast Ohio, we have finally, finally turned from winter to spring. I have mowed my lawn for the first time, and wouldn't you know it, within days, so many dandelions. I need weed control. I need a good PGR because I'm busy. I have a five-year-old. I have a side business. I've got everything with golf course industry. I love mowing, but I probably don't mow as much as I should, and I can't mow as much as I want. I need some weed control. I need some PGRs. And if I need that on my little postage stamp, of a lawn, imagine what CPRO can do for you. Their full lineup of products works hard to ensure that your course, and who knows, maybe my lawn, is consistently looking its best. Visit them at cpro.com to learn more. Bradley S. Klein, after the break. regular golf course industry columnist. He is Dr. Bradley S. Klein, PhD. Great to have you back on the podcast and your column in May. I loved reading it. I loved reading it again the second, third times while while editing it and making sure it fit into the page. You wrote about the past and the new superintendents at your local municipal course, Wintonberry Hills Golf Course, Mark Manser, and the new superintendent, Dennis Petrozelli. 
And you write about superintendents a fair bit, but I don't think I've read anything by you uh, that goes almost almost so lovingly about about specific superintendents. What was it about Mark and, and now Dennis that, that inspired this column? Well, first of all, it's a public golf course, affordable. It's the only Pete Dye municipal golf course um, in New England. I helped bring the whole thing around. I'm very close to it. Personally, I'm on the management team with um, uh, an arm of Troon Golf Indigo, and so uh, I help run the place, if you will. I play there uh, not as much as I'd like. I probably play there, you know, I play more nine-hole rounds. So it's right there. It's right down the street. It's three miles from my house. I drive by there every day to look at the parking lot, see how it's doing. And uh, I've known Mark Manser, the um, longtime superintendent there, since he got there, I think, in 2005. And um, I kind of know politically the uh, suspicions about the golf course. I think in a town like ours, uh, uh, their their views of the golf course as sort of elitist and expensive and, you know, what are we doing with the golf course? And nothing could be further from the truth. So I spent a lot of my time trying to uh, educate the town council folks and the various manager people on the on that side of things and politically uh, explain to them the golf course is a public asset, uh, who plays it, the diversity culturally, uh, racially in town as well. It's a very mixed, like our town is, the tea sheet is mixed. So it's a great meeting place for everybody in town. And so I always sort of am pained to see these misunderstandings of what municipal and public golf are about. And I also know from a budget and pressure standpoint, what uh, expectations are on these superintendents, uh, especially at municipal courses these days. And so I also, since I drive by early in the morning to go open up Starbucks, and know they're out there. (laughs) I think a part of the the job that I've become more attuned to is just the physically exhausting nature of it. Um, You know, I spent a couple weeks ago, I was up at a golf course on a consulting, ended up rolling sod and cutting and patching and moving. and I was brutal. It was brutal for four or five hours. And so I'm thinking, and these guys are up every morning cutting holes, mowing, uh, you know, it's staff shortages, so they're doing a lot of the work themselves. And Mark Manzer himself is doing the setup for many, many years. He's out there every day, you know, at daylight. And so I got a sense both uh, politically what pressure they're under and also just physically how exhausting that is. Uh, you know, they go through what they call the 100 days of hell in, in mid-season, but it extends beyond that. So um, and for all sorts of reasons, Mark decided to move on. He had a, a job opportunity at a non-golf private uh, social club, uh, which proved to be very attractive. I happened to know that he was looking for jobs elsewhere for a variety of reasons, and I, I got the sense, uh, oh, I was one of his um, recommend, recommendations, I got the sense from the process of, of his applying that he wasn't being taken seriously because he was coming from a municipal golf course. Hmm. And so what really opened up my eyes to this was the, the disparity between the job physically and politically and emotionally that superintendents go through basically everywhere and how they're perceived. And I think a lot of private clubs uh, give short shrift to superintendents uh, who haven't come through a certain kind of lineage and heritage and breeding, you know, elite top 100 U.S. open courses or superintendents at those places. And so 
I think a lot of people in the industry suffer as a result. Uh, I think the superintendents suffer. They get short shrifted in uh, uh, sh short consideration in job applications. And I think clubs suffer, suffer because they don't adequately open up their applicant pool to skilled uh, course managers. You mentioned in the column, and, and correct me if it's a little off, but the maintenance budget at Wintonberry Hills, the maintenance budget Mark's been working with recently, is under $600,000. And I know the, the average in the Northeast, even at public courses, is probably the highest of almost any region of the country. Maybe the West is a little higher, but certainly higher on average than the Midwest and the South and the Southeast. You would think that these private clubs would see the value in bringing in someone who's worked on a much tighter budget, who's had to literally do the same thing with far less resources than they have. Uh, that's a good point. Um, and um, I think part of it, as, you, as soon as you said that, it made me realize, I think for the most part, the folks who are recruiting superintendents at private clubs never play a municipal golf course, mm -hmm. or they assume that it's in some kind of dog track condition, so they don't need to worry. Or, or to investigate themselves. And I think it's one of the limitations. If you don't do due diligence and find out, and you have to do site visits, you can't just do it over the phone. Um, they'd be shocked and surprised, and uh, it would be an eye-opener for them to see, not what everybody's doing, but what a lot of superintendents are capable of doing. Uh, you know, we have a golf course, Windbury Hills, uh, been open for uh, 18 years now, most of that under Mark. Manser, and uh, it has almost no power. Uh, the greens roll beautifully. Fairways have a pretty solid turf cover, and it's in very consistent shape once the season, you know, it takes. We've had a weird spring, obviously. Yeah. But to do all that for $550,000 a year, and then to have to negotiate with the town purchasing people over, you know, every mower and every piece of equipment, that's, that's, that's pretty sophisticated work that you're doing there. So, to me, um, I think it's because superintendents uh, at these places are basically kind of categorized and, um, you know, put, a, put, it, put it to a kind of corner of the applicant pool. I do want to ask about maybe some of your favorite Mark Mancher stories, because I'm sure you have plenty over the last decade and a half of playing at, at your home club. But one other question, what needs to change from your perspective? And, and, and you are... In a, in a lot of different parts of the industry in terms of uh, consulting, collaboration, writing, obviously a member of the Caddy Hall of Fame. So you, you're all over the game. Nothing, there's nothing obvious about the Caddy Hall of Fame. <laughs> my, my wife, the only thing more amazing about my being in it is that they have one. <laughs> there's a Hall of Fame for everything, though, right? I know. There's a Hall of Fame of drainage and irrigation. And there's a Hall of Fame of mustard jars, too, I'm sure. But but from your perspective, Brad, what needs to evolve or change, whether it's on the East Coast or nationally, just in terms of how municipal superintendents and other turf pros are viewed, uh, whether it's the job they're doing or if they're applying for, for positions at private clubs? Yeah, it's, it's simply a matter of people remembering where they came from. Uh, case in point, we, there's another municipal course in town, Keeney Park. It's a wonderful old Devereux Emmett on the north end of Hartford. Not the greatest neighborhood in terms of environment, but it's a great golf course. And so many people who are now at private clubs in the area played their first golf there. And we did a big restoration and celebration, and people came out. They were very generous. 
created a little bit of a fun. And people were coming back to play. And everybody said, you know, oh, this is where I grew up. This is where I played golf. But they hadn't been back in 30, 40 years. So I think the answer is we all need to remember where we came from. I think those who have had the privilege of playing at elite private courses uh, need to make some of these road trips and, and, and be open-minded. And we need to uh, basically just go visit and play these places on Monday or Tuesday, whatever it is, uh, and see the variety that's out there. And I think the more people that educate themselves and learn both the value of efficient operations and also just remember their roots and where they come from, I think that'll help uh, restore some of the imbalance that I perceive in the industry. As I mentioned just a minute ago, I imagine you have plenty of great stories about Mark Manser. Uh, you you said at the top of this segment all the different things that he's done. You've probably witnessed most of those firsthand. What are some of your favorite stories about Mark over the last 15, 16 years that he's worked at and you've played Wintonberry Hills? Well, i got to say this. First of all, during most of the time that he was there, I was traveling like 150 days a year. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was on the road a lot. And I it, what, it, what really opened up my eyes is I realized that I had not fully appreciated how physically hard he had worked every day showing up. I saw him um, uh, on at, at golf committee meetings, and I was always impressed with the reserve between, I'll put it this way, what he said and what he wanted to say in terms of having to confront <laughs> folks on the committee. He was a model of tech and diplomacy, and then as soon as the meeting was over, we would sort of huddle and he would, you know, the language would change somewhat. And he was very tactful and very um, yeah, diplomatic about how he went about doing things. Um, the other thing I was always impressed with is when I would see him at industry meetings, he was a very strong presence in the Connecticut Superintendents Association, uh, ran educational forums. Uh, I was a speaker occasionally. And um, it was funny, just this last uh, March, he was – involved in putting together the uh, educational um, program for the uh, the, the New England uh, Regional Turfgrass Show. And I went up to the registration desk, and uh, he wasn't wearing his golf hat, wasn't wearing his golf gear. He was, he was, it was shirt, tie, jacket, and I literally did not recognize him. And I, I sort of stumbled, and I, it caught me completely off guard. The, the, uh, the way in which he would, and I think any good superintendent, learns to yeah, be in the moment and to adjust accordingly. So he was he was great at that. And when you're at, he worked for a management company. So his ability to shift, change roles, and to be the the loyal employee, uh, the tactful citizen, the hardworking, all you know within one within a few hours. That always impressed me. Um, so more than any other story, but. Uh, you know, he's, he got to spend a lot of good time with the folks like Pete Dye and Tim Liddy and uh, turf uh, consultants like Dick Bader, who were, uh, you know, books could be written about them alone. And uh, uh, he, he handled himself, you know, incredibly professionally, and most of the folks in the town had no idea what he was actually doing. I was always aware of that gap, if you will, between uh, reality and perception. So, And he, he wasn't bothered by it. As far as I could tell, he, he was very good at uh, shift those role changes. So um, that more than any, you know, any specific story, if you will, um, you know, so um, I'll miss him. And we'll, we'll keep talking, but I'll miss him. And uh, the, we, we got a new guy, Dennis Petrozelli, 
who's a, who's a real veteran of the area, and he's, he's adjusted well already, so it's good to see. But uh, I think superintendents in the municipal sector have a very complicated role to play, uh, more so than it's um, um, any other sector of the industry. A minute ago you said books could be written about uh, just people in the game. Uh, you mentioned Die, Liddy, Bader. Uh, you've written a book or ten. Any any plans to write about that angle, that part of the industry coming up? I've thought about it. You know, I keep talking to superintendents about writing. Uh, there's one recent history. There really isn't. Uh, no super. I'll put it this way: No superintendent has ever written a good book about what it's actually like to be a golf course superintendent. Um, so I talked to a lot of superintendents, and you know, it's basically tell the stories now that it, you have to be retired to do it. Now, tell the stories now before you forget them that you would ne- that you'd get fired if you told, and what it's actually like on a day to day. And I've thought about doing it, you know, kind of Tracy Kidder story. Um, the, about detailing it. I, I don't know if there's a market there. The whole golf industry just publishing is kind of up, upside down right now. But it's one of three or four books that I've got uh, on the back of my uh, in the back of my mind to write. And I don't know if I'll get to it, but uh, it would be a good one. But again, there's if anyone's listening, I hope they are. There has not yet been a single book written by a superintendent about what it's actually like to be a golf course. I'll just throw that out there. <laughs> I know we're right at about a quarter hour. I want to be respectful of your time, so I'll leave you with this, Brad. You mentioned uh, some of the books that you might write. You are everywhere, it seems like, in terms of golf media. Before I let you go, is there anything you want to plug or promote, any recent stories? doesn't even have to be uh, in GCI, just anything that you want to make sure people read. Uh, I'm proud of two books that I wrote. Um, you know, well, three. I wrote the biography of Donald Ross, Discovering Donald Ross. That's available on Amazon and on a, the uh, proprietary um, website, discoveringdonaldross.com. First collection of essays still manages to get around rough meditations. And then um, a book I did a few years back about uh, golf and American culture. It's called uh, Wide Open Fairways. So those are my three. You know, I, I think I've written eight or nine others about courses. I'm writing a club history here now, and then I've got a big one in, in the works on the history of American golf course design. Um, I've always wanted to write a book about Herbert Warren Wynn, the writer, and I guess I'll add the superintendent's book, so there's four more I, before I um, head off to the uh, fairways of, uh, up above. <laughs> well, as soon as there's any th- specific release dates set, just make sure that uh, golf course industry, we can uh, pre-order a couple of copies from you. Be shameless about promoting it in the pages. Don't worry. I'm, I'm very good. I'm a, I'm a total mercenary. That's the caddy in me. You have to be. You have to be. These days, yeah. Sure. Brad, always great to talk with you. Bradley S. Klein, more respect for municipal superintendents is in the May issue. You can read it online or in the print issue when it arrives in your mailbox later this month. Brad, thank you so much. Matt, thanks. Have a good day. Thanks. Thanks again to Bradley S. Klein for taking some time to go beyond the page to talk about his local municipal superintendents. Thanks to our sponsor, CPRO, which provides industry-leading turf plant growth regulators like Cutlass, Legacy, and Musketeer to the golf industry, along with disease, weed, and aquatic management solutions, and whose full line of products works hard to ensure that your course, and as I mentioned, 
at the top of the show, who knows, maybe my lawn this year, it could certainly use it, is consistently looking its best. They're available online whenever you are at cpro, S-E-P-R-O, dot com. And my thanks to all of you for listening to all the podcasts on the Superintendent Radio Network. New episodes of Off the Course, Greens with Envy, Tartan Talks, and Beyond the Page drop on Tuesdays. You have one episode every month of Real Turf Text. That drops on a Wednesday. And Wonderful Women of Golf drops on the first Thursday of every month. Our May issue will be online early next week at www.golfcourseindustry.com slash magazine. It includes Brad's Valentine to municipal superintendents. It includes features by editor-in-chief Guy Cipriano and me about a trio of Chicagoland nine-holers. Oh my gosh, did I love those stories. And a great story by Lee Carr, who was on the podcast last month to talk about her environmental package. This story is about turf pro inventors. If you have an idea rolling around your head, give that a read. That's all the inspiration you're going to need to try to move forward, develop your invention, get a patent, maybe sell it, help the industry out a little bit. Great story from Lee. There's lots more in the issue as well. Even more stories and news beyond what's in the magazine are available in our Fast and Firm email newsletter that's delivered every Tuesday to your inbox. Sign up directly on our homepage, www.golfcourseindustry.com. All right, deep breath time. Golf Course Industry is produced by Guy Cipriano and me, I'm Matt Lowell. Our columnists are wonderful. Terry Buchan, Henry Delosier, Bradley S. Klein. You heard from him this month. Tim Morrigan and Matthew Wharton. We have some fantastic regular contributors, too. We'll go in alphabetical order by last name. Trent Bouts, Tyler Bloom, Lee Carr, Ron Furlong, Judd Spicer, John Torsiello, Anthony Williams, and Rick Wolfel. We have another summer intern starting later this month. In like two weeks, you'll hear so much more about her soon. Really looking forward to that. Our publisher is Dave Zai. Russ Warner is our national sales manager. Jim Blaney designs the magazine. Ooh, looks good. Caitlin Sellers and Amanda Cafardi make sure everything goes where it should. Christina Warner makes sure you all receive the magazine. Kelly Antle makes sure we all get paid. Irene Sweeney does everything and more. Ryan Jacobs, Anna Kolar, Cody Minnick, Tom Bauman, Brock Andorada, and Patrick Brion are our IT team. Cody and Anna setting me up with a new work laptop soon. Thanks, you two. Our president is Chris Foster. Above all else, we could not do what we do without you. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>